This is a study in musculoskeletal clinical anatomy. And how we're going to be proceeding here is investigating the anatomy that's relevant for musculoskeletal clinic and neuroanatomy that's relevant for EMG through the lens of developing a differential diagnosis for pain in different parts of the body. This program is primarily tailored towards PMNR residents, but I think it can also be a useful resource to use in the education of medical students and residents in the fields of internal medicine, family medicine, orthopedic medicine, emergency medicine, and really anybody else who's interested in learning about musculoskeletal clinical anatomy. All right, so let's just jump in here. For our first episode, we are going to be looking at a differential for anterior knee pain. So I'm just going to kind of try to go from superficial to deep, but it'll really be just jumping around and keying off of the differential diagnosis for anterior knee pain. These diagnoses are not completely comprehensive. So this is representative of just sort of the most common pathology that causes pain in the anterior knee. The first source of pain that I have on my differential here is just a simple neuropathy. Really, the reason that I put this in here is to just remember the cutaneous nerve maps. And so the cutaneous nerve that innervates the anterior knee is the anterior femoral cutaneous nerve, which is obviously a branch off the femoral nerve. The femoral nerve innervates sartorius and the vasti muscles, the rectus, that all participate in knee extension. There's not too much more to say about that. Number two on the list is bursitis, and there's a lot more to say about bursitis in the knee. These are ones that we learn a lot about. The first one is uh, prepatellar bursitis. This is also called, called housemaid's knee. This is something that you can get from scrubbing the floor, putting bearing weight for an extensive period of time right on the anterior surface of the patella. Housemaid's knee or prepatellar bursitis is a generally a painless swelling. The next important area of bursitis that people experience that causes anterior knee pain is pain in the suprapatellar bursa. This is a really important bursa to talk about it, because it communicates with the joint capsule. So this is one that you, you can look at under ultrasound and can be a target for you if you're doing an interarticular knee injection under ultrasound in a patient that has you know, very end-stage osteoarthritis and you think that you may be need to image it under ultrasound to make sure you're in the joint space. If they have a large effusion and it gives you a nice target in the suprapatellar space that oftentimes is just a potential space without that effusion. But if there's a big effusion there, it gives you a great target. Um, the suprapatella bursa sits between the quad and the femur. The next bursa that's important in the anterior knee is the deep infrapatellar bursa. This bursa sits between the patella tendon and the tibia. 
And then the last one is the superficial uh, or subcutaneous infrapatella bursa. And this bursa is located in between the skin and the tibial tuberosity. And you get this type of bursitis, I guess you can get it from praying, which is why it's called Vickers knee. These bursa are easily identifiable on ultrasound. Okay, so moving along in our differential um, diagnosis for anterior knee pain, next we're going to talk about patellofemoral syndrome. Patellofemoral syndrome is probably, um, if I had to guess, one of the most common presentations of anterior knee pain, especially in a younger population. Obviously, in an older population, you're going to get osteoarthritis presenting, uh, you know, very, very commonly. So patellofemoral syndrome, people will also report the theater sign, which is a term used in sports medicine, talking about when a patient is, is sitting for an extended period of time and gets up and they have pain in the anterior knee. People with patellofemoral syndrome have pain going up and down stairs. It's sort of a diffuse, poorly localized pain. Well, first of all, let's define kind of what patellofemoral syndrome is. It is a pain associated with the knee extensor mechanism. And, you know, it's not, it's not super well understood exactly what causes patellofemoral syndrome other than some malalignment and poor tracking of the patella in the patellofemoral joint. Traditionally, therapists have worked um, on quad strengthening and v- in particular the VMO, the um, vastus medialis, in order to help with quad track with um, t- sorry patella tracking in the patellofemoral joint. There's there's sort of more um, controversy coming out about that about you know how important VMO strengthening actually is, but in you know just for practical purposes, patellofemoral syndrome pain associated with the knee extensor mechanism. Now, what what kind of, what structures are important in stabilizing the patella? And this kind of runs a little bit into patella dislocation, which we'll talk about next. But patella laxity is one of the things that can contribute to patellofemoral syndrome. So the structures that stabilize the patella are um, an important thing to talk about when we're talking about patellofemoral syndrome. So in terms of muscles that help stabilize the patella, we're talking about the vastus medialis and vastus lateralis. They tug on the patella, obviously, in in opposite directions and help kind of um, fight each other in order to stabilize that patella. And the patella retinaculum is a very important and underappreciated um, structure that stabilizes the patella. And when people get patella dislocations, you really have to look and make sure they don't have um, retinaculum injuries as well. The patella is a sesamoid bone. It's the largest sesamoid bone in the body. And one of the things that's important to remember about the patella is that you can get a anatomical normal variant of a bipartite patella. If somebody has anterior knee pain and they come in and it looks like they have a very, you know, super clean fracture right through their patella with no sclerosis and no signs of like acute trauma, um, then it's probably a a bipartite patella. Importantly, patellofemoral syndrome is a diagnosis of exclusion. So it's kind of a tricky thing because it's very common. And so we often that's on the top of our differential and all things kind of being equal. It's sort of one of the most common presentations of anterior knee pain, but it is important to remember that it is a diagnosis of exclusion. 
the next problem that we're going to talk about is patella dislocation. And we'll talk about patella dislocation a little bit more later on in this podcast when we talk about a differential for knee effusion because it is an important key piece of pathology on your differential when you're talking about a person who develops an acute hemarthrosis or an acute massive knee effusion. There's only so many things that cause that and patella um, dislocation is one of them. One of the things that's important to um, consider in patella dislocation is tear of the mediopatella femoral ligament. And this is a structure that connects the medial patella to the femoral condyle. If there is an injury to the medial patella femoral ligament, it often will require orthopedic intervention, and um, surgical intervention, because the patella often becomes chronically unstable if the medial patella femoral ligament is not intact. Um, like I said before, retinaculum injuries can be common with patella dislocation and you want to investigate for that. Uh, avulsions and bone edema, um, you'll sort of get those that kissing bone edema on the medial patella and then the lateral um, femoral condyle. The important test to do for patella instability is to visualize the patella divided into four quadrants. And if the patella moves, and typically we're talking about laterally here, because you're going to get a lot more movement laterally than you are immediately of the patella due to the way that it sits in the joint. Um, if the patella moves more than two of those quadrants, then you can safely say that the person has increased um, patella laxity. The, so if a patient comes in and they tell you, you know, I think I dislocated my patella and they're talking about a meat and they think they're communicating a medial dislocation to you, it's important to kind of pause and think, okay, well, what's really going on here? And the reason is because it's important to remember that it's very rare to get a medial patella dislocation. I'm sure it happens. I'm sure there's traumatic mechanism that could cause that to happen. Um, but overwhelmingly, patella dislocations are going to dislocate laterally. There's a lot more opportunity for that patella to move in the joint in the lateral direction. So that's an important thing to remember when you're looking at a patient um, who comes in and they think they might have dislocated their patella. All right. So next, we're going to talk about chondromalacia. Um, and this is basically just degenerative wear and tear on the cartilage of, uh, underneath the surface of the patella in the patella femoral compartment of the knee. Um, this can present very similarly to patella femoral syndrome, and really they go hand in hand um, because you can, as you can imagine, it's it's you know possible that the patella femoral syndrome and patella instability that you see with that can set you up for just sort of chronic wear and tear of that patella cartilage surface. And then, you know, if we're going to talk about cartilage, we have to talk about patella chondral um, defects. In terms of patella chondral defects, they tend to have actually a more favorable prognosis. Um, and this is because this is a non-weight-bearing surface of the joint. Now, in terms of the osteochondral defects, the cartilage in the knee is articular cartilage. And this is the type of cartilage that we are have not been successful at trying to regenerate or regrow up to date. This is sort of the holy grail as how to 
regenerate um, articular cartilage for joint surfaces. And so the operative techniques that address chondral lesions in the knee, what really is going on there if there is new cartilage regeneration is the regeneration of fibrocartilage into those defects of our previous articular cartilage. Fibrocartilage is not a native cartilage to these surfaces in the knee joint. And so they tend to not perform quite as well. And, and oftentimes they will degenerate uh, more quickly. Just as a you know very brief overview of the different surgical techniques that are used to fix chondral defects in the knee, um, you have microfracture. This is um, where the surgeon will go in and drill little holes up in the bone and um, a bone marrow plug hopefully come down and seal that defect. And the idea there is to regenerate that fibrocartilage in that, in that um, chondral defect. For us as rehab physicians, you have to know that those are typically have um, significant weight-bearing restrictions after surgery in order to protect that bone marrow plug. The other techniques that are used, um, the OATS procedure, osteochondral autograft transplantation, this is where you basically um, take plugs from non-weight-bearing surfaces of the joint you take plugs of cartilage from those surfaces and plug up the chondral defect that's symptomatic. And then you have allograft transplantation, which isn't as popular anymore. Those transplants don't seem to do quite as well. Um, and then you have autologous chondrocyte implantation, which is not as common here in the U.S., but it is basically growing up a culture of chondrocytes and then re-implanting re that into the defect. Okay, so moving on in our differential diagnosis for anterior knee pain, we're going to move to quad strains and sprains. This is a, a, an important thing to talk about when we're talking about the neuroanatomy of the anterior knee. So, the femoral nerve, which um, comes from L2, 3, and 4. Femoral nerve originates from the upper posterior quadrant of the lumbosacral plexus. This nerve is what innervates the quad muscles. It innervates the rectus femoris, the um, vastus lateralis, the vastus medialis, and the vastus intermedius. And in terms of where these muscles originate from, um, the rectus originates from, from the anterior inferior iliac spine. The lateralis originates from the greater trochanter. The medialis originates from the medial femur. And the intermedius originates from the anterior lateral femur. And of course, all of these uh, muscles come together and form the quad tendon, which runs over the patella and then becomes the patella tendon. It is of note that the femoral nerve also innervates sartorius, which we'll talk about when we talk about medial knee pain. Uh, moving on, we're going to talk about the patella tendon. Something that we can't miss is patella tendonitis, or jumper's knee is the sports medicine term for that. Patella tendon, which attaches on the tibial tuberosity. Now, if the patient is... Um, you know, 25 years old and they come in, they have anterior knee pain. Yes, you know, we're talking about patella tendonitis, but let's say the patient is 13. Something that has to be on your differential if you're thinking that somebody has patella tendonitis and they are somebody whose growth plates have not fused yet, you have to consider the possibility that maybe they have Oshkosh Slaughter's. 
Um, and so Oshkosh slaughters is uh, basically an avulsion of the tibial tuberosity in immature bone. And it's a chronic injury that you'll see in these younger athletes and children who are doing lots of sports and um, they'll come in and they'll, it will look like a patella tendonitis, but really what's happened is that patella chronically has tugged away on that tibial um, tubercle, which has not fused down to the tibia yet. And you get an avulsion injury and you can diagnose this on x-ray and you can, um, you know, start by treating conservatively in these cases. All right. So next we're going to talk about painful plica syndrome. This is an interesting cause of anterior knee pain, and it's usually kind of superior medial uh, along the superior medial ridge of the patella. And what is this is, is an extrusion of the synovium outside the joint that gets pinched. And oftentimes this is a palpable band, and you'll be able to feel it, and the patient will have pain in that area. And it's just this um, sort of fold of the synovium that made its way outside the joint and now is getting pinched in the joint. Last thing we're going to talk about for um, anterior knee pain is uh, tibial plateau fractures. A fracture is one of those things as well that will cause an immediate effusion in a joint. And we'll talk about this more when we talk about knee effusions, but if you aspirate a knee and you see what is looks like fat or anything yellow, then you have to assume that there's a fracture in there. And so it's a very important thing to remember. Um, if you suspect somebody has a tibial plateau fracture, if they have an exquisite amount of pain and they can't bear weight and you don't see it on x-ray, and of course you need to get an oblique x-ray film to diagnose these. So if you think somebody, first of all, if you think somebody has a tibial plateau fracture, order an oblique x-ray. And then if the x-ray doesn't show anything and you still think that it's a possibility, then make sure that you order the MRI because sometimes these fractures can go undiagnosed and are subradiographic. So that is just sort of a brief overview of a differential for anterior knee pain. In the next episode, we will be discussing a differential for lateral knee pain, as well as reviewing um, some of the anatomy that is related to and important in the lateral compartment of the knee. So thank you so much and stay tuned for the next episode. None of the information on this podcast should be misinterpreted as representing medical advice or any expert medical testimony. If you have a medical problem, seek care and advice from your own physician. The podcaster, any interviewees or guests of the show and any associated entities are not responsible for the accuracy of this program.